Morning. So before we uh, jump in here, I'm going to share some good news with you. Celebrate something a little bit. A few weeks ago, I invited all of you to join me as we uh, prayerfully uh, looked at the, our ECC giving and, and asked if God might be inviting us to give more or to become or to start giving or to become more regular and, and intentional in that a few weeks ago. And I want to celebrate that the first two weeks of October, we have met our operational needs. Uh, and that was two weeks back to back. Two weeks back to back, and we haven't done that in quite a while. So thank you, and let's keep up the good work. So, Pastor Kim Shin Jo used to be a trained killer. You want to start out a testimony session? That's how you start it off. <laughs> Pastor Kim Shin Jo used to be a trained killer. In January of 1968, he and a team of commandos left North Korea, crossed the border into South Korea, and their mission was to kill the president of South Korea. There were 31 commandos on this team. They got within a few hundred yards of the presidential uh, residence before they were caught. And then the fight, the battle that ensued, 30 South Koreans were killed. All of the commandos were killed except for two. One escaped, the other one, Kim Shin Jo, was caught and arrested. He was interrogated for several months, and after that interrogation, and after a surprising and unprecedented friendship that he developed with a South Korean Army general, Kim Shin Jo began to soften. He says this about that time. I tried to kill the president. I was the enemy, but the South Korean people showed me sympathy and forgiveness. I was touched and moved. He was so touched and moved that over the next 30 years, he was released from prison, he became a citizen of South Korea, he got married and raised a family, became a Christian and a pastor. Later, upon reflecting on the day of his capture and arrest, he says this, On that day, Kim Shin Jo died. I was reborn. I got my second chance. That second chance came through the love of his enemies, their empathy toward him, and their willingness to forgive him. So this week, for those of you that are reading along in the book, we are in chapter 5 of Dan White's book, Love Over Fear. In this chapter, chapter, which is entitled When Love Comes to Town, which is a title of a U2 song that I tried desperately to work in but couldn't do it, so I'm not going to get to do that. <clears throat> but he goes after this idea that uh, we think we can know people without dwelling with them. We think we can know people without dwelling. We find comfort in this day and age and power in gaining as much knowledge about things as we can to the point that we think we understand somebody and what they're all about. But we cannot. We gather the news from Twitter or our news sites. He says we, we may have everything figured out, but we cannot know the person who holds those views, those other views, until we dwell with them where they are. And Dan White adds, in fact, that we can have all of the information, we can be 100% right and still miss the whole point. Quote, being right without loving well is not right. Being right without loving well is not right. So there are two main parts of the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Philippians chapter 2. Paul's instructions to the people reading the letter are in verses 1 through 4. And then verses 5 through 11, he has an illustration that he used that Kurt alluded to earlier. 
Most scholars, as he said, think this illustration that Paul is using is an ancient Christian hymn that Paul took, borrowed, and put it into the letter, and now it's a part of our scripture. This morning, we're going to go backwards and deal with the hymn, the illustration first, and then go back up to the instructions that Paul has for his readers. Verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. First of all, we can tell he's talking about their relationships with one another in the church. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. We who know Christ are to model our lives, our attitudes, after Jesus, who came and dwelt among us. What Paul celebrates here, and what God in Christ has done for us, and what we can now do for one another and the world, is just this. We model our lives after Christ. Christ, who was in very nature God, emptied himself. The Greek word for that, Kurt mentioned that too, is kenosis. Kenosis doesn't actually appear in this passage. It appears in other places, or the verb form it does, but it doesn't actually appear in, the pla- in, places, in this place. But it is, theologically, what is going on. Kenosis. Paul writes that although Christ was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. More literally, it could read, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. That is, Christ let go of his rightful place in the universe to serve and save the universe. Christ let go of his rightful place in the universe to save and serve the universe. He won by losing. He brought life by dying. And none of this means that Christ was no longer God when he was incarnated. It means he willingly laid down what it means to be God in order to serve and save humanity and all of creation. To become one of us was to take on all the limitations of humanity and yet remain, as the creeds say, very God of very God. It's a paradox. It's a mystery. And perhaps we are not meant to understand it all just yet. We get this, a picture of this paradox in Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Sung though he was, he learned obedience. He learned obedience from what he suffered And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. As hard as it is for us to understand, in some way, Jesus was both fully God and fully human. Christ chose to empty himself into humanity as a human being. He chose to let go of what it means to be God. When he, when he could have defeated his enemies by force, by violence, he chose to dwell among them, to serve them, and to die for them instead. Verse 7, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Some scholars think that the hymn doesn't include that line, even death on a cross, that Paul just threw that in there to make sure they got the point. Christ emptied himself. Christ emptied himself. The word became flesh, John 1.14 tells us, and made his dwelling among us. And this is referred to by another theological word, the incarnation. The incarnation, the enfleshment of God in our midst as one of us. And now we're going to back up and look at Paul's instruction at the beginning of our passage. And since uh, chapter 2, verse 1 begins with the word therefore, we need to back up a bit further still. 
And when we look at chapter 1, we discover that Paul is writing from prison and that he knows he is facing possible death. Though he would rather die, as he says in chapter 1, verse 21, and be with Christ, he has come to believe that because it is better for them, he will actually go on living. Put another way, Paul willingly chooses the harder way to descend into suffering, to continue to dwell among his enemies for the sake of others rather than die and be with Christ. So given that Paul's future is somewhat uncertain, he writes then in chapter 1, verse 27, whatever happens, and he means whatever happens to me, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Regardless of Paul's fate, the Philippian Christians must live in a, word, in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then he defines that. That is, they must strive together as one person for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way of those who oppose them. It is their oneness, it is their unity in Christ that wins the day. Unity is necessary for the gospel and for victory against all that seeks to destroy the church. The unity of God's people is necessary for the gospel and for victory over everything that threatens the church. It is a non-negotiable. And folks, the only reason there needs to be a call to unity is because, I don't know if you know this or not, but people can be very difficult. And they can be very different from one another, culturally, ethnically, theologically, politically, socioeconomically, the list goes on. This was the case with the first disciples that we looked at a few weeks ago, and this is the case with us today as well. Paul then shifts gears in chapter 2, now to our passage. Verse 1, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... And the small word if there is rhetorical. You could almost say since these things are true. There's no question as to whether or not these things are true. They are. These Christians have found encouragement in being united to Christ. They have received comfort from his love. There is a common participation in the Spirit, and they have experienced Christ's tenderness and compassion. And these realities then empower them and empower us to live differently. Since these things are true, Paul goes on, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. I I don't know uh, if any parents here have tried this, but when your kids are little, or maybe your grandkids, and they do something that you don't want them to do or you think is rude or whatever, you say, don't do that. That won't make Jesus happy. Do this and make Jesus happy. Now, whatever, that's right or wrong for parents to do that. We can talk about that in another context. Paul, we want Paul to be happy, so let's make his joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And so the call, once again, is to unity. Not uniformity, unity. We don't all have to think the same about everything or live the same way or even believe exactly the same way, but we do need to be of one mind and have the same love. We do need to be one in spirit. And these things have to do with a commitment to Christ, a commitment to one another, and a commitment 
to the gospel and the mission of the gospel. This is the same kind of unity contending as one person, as Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 27. It is the same unity Jesus prays for us in John 17. Paul then shows us this unity and what it's going to look like in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. There's a line in there that has made its way into our ECC relational covenant. We commit to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's all about how we see and treat one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. Unity is, based on, is built on humility and, and is looking out for the needs and the interests of others, even those with whom we may strongly disagree. Again, I remind you, he is talking about us in the church. He's talking to us. And to be clear, though Paul never uses the word here, he is assuming that even within the body of Christ, we can have in quotes, enemies of a sort. Even within the body of Christ, we can have enemies of a sort. And he exhorts us toward unity, toward sympathy, toward empathy, toward servanthood. The Philippian church is dealing with division. So Paul calls them to unify around the image of Christ on the cross. He calls them to model Christ's sacrifice, to empty themselves out for one another, to practice kenosis as the hymn said earlier to leave their throne and come down in love we got to leave our thrones in order to practice kenosis in order to serve one another james forbes one-time pastor of riverside church in manhattan a very multicultural church says that for a church to be truly multicultural truly integrated we have to let go of some of our desires our I would say, consumeristic desires to be fully satisfied all the time. As I read his words, he is speaking of diversity in terms of multiculturalism and ethnicity, but I'm going to invite you to hear his words as applying to other kinds of diversity too, theological, liturgical, political, even in the way we carry out our mission. So hear it that way. James Forbes writes this. A truly diverse congregation where anybody enjoys more then 75% of what's going on is not thoroughly integrated. A truly diverse congregation where anybody enjoys more than 75% of what's, not, of what's going on is not thoroughly integrated. So that if you are going to be an integrated church, you have to be prepared to think, hey, this is great. I enjoyed at least 75% of it. Because 25% you should grant for somebody's precious liturgical expression that is probably odious to you. Otherwise, it's not integrated. So an integrating church is characterized by the need to be content with less than total satisfaction with everything. Hear that again. An integrating church is characterized by the need to be content with less than total satisfaction with everything. You have to factor in, he goes on, you have to factor in a willingness to absorb some things that are not dear to you, but may be precious to some of those coming in. When I first began to pursue this fall series on love over fear, it was mostly about my growing concern over the polarized society in which we live and, and the way that polarization has corrupted the larger church. 
It's been a concern of mine for many years, and that concern, as you can imagine, has only grown in recent months. And all of that's still true. But what I've come to realize is that love over fear is also about what's happening at ECC, in ECC. In addition to the societal challenges that have seduced us into polarization and a lack of civility between one another, some of our own internal challenges have emerged as well. I'm referring to the events leading up to and following the congregational meeting on September 20th and the potential these things have to divide us. Three important motions were passed in that meeting. A motion to reverse council's decision to eliminate the connections pastor position from the budget. A motion to allow council to tap into the strategic ministry fund to meet shortfalls in the operational budget. And a motion to reaffirm my calling to ECC as lead pastor. This morning, I want to speak to that last motion, the one to reaffirm my calling to ECC, though what I'm going to say will apply uh, to the potential division around each of these motions. Again, I want to clarify that I had asked council to weigh in on the decision of continuing my call at ECC. I have been pondering this for a long time. The conversation around my call here was initiated by me. Their decision that I should move on in the near future. Their decision was initiated by, this conversation was initiated by me, and their decision came at the end of a long process of evaluation and prayer. Their decision was in no way malicious or out of the blue. I know these people. I know their hearts. And I know that they have put in a tremendous amount of work I've worked with them for several years. They've put in a a large amount of work and prayer into ECC, especially in the past few months. And I can honestly say that I have never seen a council work as hard as they have these past few months. So I ask that whatever, whatever thoughts you may have on the decisions that were made by council, I ask that you choose not to malign their character and that you join me and continue to pray for them. Likewise, I ask those of you who were in the minority on any of the motions voted on that day to do the same. Choose to believe that those who voted in favor of the motions also had ECC's best interests at heart. By the grace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, let us choose to trust that people who hold a position different than ours do so out of a concern for what they think is best for ECC. Let us give them the benefit of the doubt, again, as our relational covenant pledges. That is, using Christ as our model, let us make the choice to descend in empathy toward one another, to leave our thrones, whatever those thrones may be, and to descend in empathy toward one another, to dwell with one another. In the interest of pursuing unity amid diversity, let us choose to be satisfied with only 75% give or take. Let us practice kenosis. Let us let go of our right to be right, for being right without loving well is not right. Let us choose to believe that our good, loving, and powerful God is in fact able to use imperfect people making imperfect decisions to accomplish his perfect will. He does it all the time. Thanks be to God. 
Three years ago, the Vitality team identified Revelation 3, 14 to 22 as our biblical story. It was to serve as a key message and metaphor for us in our journey toward becoming a more healthy missional congregation. And in that passage, you may remember, Jesus knocks on the door of a lukewarm church in the city of Laodicea, and he challenges them to earnestly repent of their lukewarmness. Jesus says to them, You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't know how bad things really are. Margaret Martin, who leads our pervasive prayer team, meets on Thursdays on Zoom at 5.30 every week. They'd love to have you join them. Margaret is very sensitive to the Spirit, as are all other members of the pervasive prayer team. And after much prayer, Margaret suggested to me in a very early in the morning email that what we are going through now may indeed be what is necessary in God's plan. She wrote to me that in and through the Vitality Pathway, and I'm going to quote her now, We have prayed that we would not be like the self-sufficient, poor, blind, naked church of Laodicea. We have prayed that God wake us up, whatever it takes. We have prayed to learn how to recognize and follow the Holy Spirit's leading. We have prayed earnestly, and I know that God has heard and has been working. What if his answer to our prayers looked like this? We now have been stripped of nearly everything because the Lord disciplines and rebukes those he loves. What if God's answer to our prayers looks like this? I think Margaret and the pervasive prayer team are on to something. God is at work in these things, even when it is difficult or impossible to see for some of us. So I invite you to practice love over fear. Not just beyond these walls in a divisive presidential election and all the other divisive issues facing our country at the moment, but also here, right here, right now, with one another, as sisters and brothers in Christ, here at ECC. If we are to find the path forward, it will be because we have learned to love and care for one another as Christ Jesus has loved and cared for us. It will be because we have learned to empty ourselves for one another. It will be because we have chosen to dwell with one another and to be satisfied only about 75% of the time, give or take. Now, if I recall correctly, none of the motions passed on September 20th passed unanimously, including the motion to reaffirm my calling here. Therefore, all of these decisions have the potential to divide us and to hinder our mission, but they don't have to. In many ways, friends, the easiest option for me would be to walk away. However, as Kim and I have been praying about this, I sincerely believe that there is some work God has yet for me to do here, for us to do together, to further solidify the ECC touchstones of welcome, transformation, and presence, and to more intentionally align our mission and our vision and our ministry around them. So for this reason, until the Spirit says otherwise, I plan to stay. Obviously, please keep in mind there was a percentage of people who didn't vote. I just, I just want to say that. 
who didn't vote in favor of that motion. And we need to be aware of that. Obviously, I cannot and will not stay at ECC forever. A transition is inevitable at some point. And I will continue seeking God on these things, along with counsel, along with Kim, my wife. The conversation is ongoing. Kim and I are actually going away a couple of days this week to pray. I invite you to pray for us as we do so. In a few weeks, pastors are going to get together again and begin to pray what on earth church looks like in this current reality. It keeps, we keep holding a carrot out, thinking, oh, we're going to get back to normal. It just doesn't look like it. So what does it look like? I ask you to pray for us in that. In the meantime, though, while we're trying to figure this out, while, we continue, while I continue to serve, <clears throat> uh, I want to ask you for your forgiveness for wherever I have mishandled this conversation and the announcement a few weeks ago. I'm sure I did. So I ask for your forgiveness. But more than that, I ask for your partnership. I invite you to join me and our ECC staff and the church council and other leaders as we seek to hear the Holy Spirit's leading and plot a course forward that, to be honest, will be difficult and even painful at times, but will in the end transform us into better people, a better faith community, and a healthier, more missional congregation. Let us begin that partnership by practicing love over fear with one another. This day, this week, this very moment. Let us make the same choice toward one another that Christ Jesus made on our behalf. Let us choose to descend into empathy for one another, with one another, and to dwell with one another and for one another in all things. And let us trust that God is at work and that even through imperfect people making imperfect decisions, God is perfectly capable of accomplishing His perfect will in us and through us. So in closing, I invite you to hear again the words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians 2. Just hear it and then I'll close this in prayer. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us, for the humility in Christ Jesus you have shown us, that you loved us even while we, your, we were your enemies, that you reconciled us to yourself even while we were sinners and your enemies. And we pray now, O oh God, that we would lean into that with all we've got, that we would lean into your Holy Spirit, that we would take as our life's Model what you have done for us on the cross. Help us, O oh God, to love one another. Help us, O oh God, to serve one another, even when we disagree with one another. Help us, O oh Lord, to, Lord, to come to this place of unity, contending as one person for the faith of the gospel, so that you may receive the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.